0: And welcome back to the Thunder 6 Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider. And today, I'm going to be talking about the Thunder-Indiana Pacers game. It was really ugly. I think everybody at least saw the box score or, God forbid, watched the game. Obviously, I'm joking, but it was it was not a good one. I'm going to be just recapping that. I'm going to be bringing a familiar face back for a segment on here. I'm going to be bringing kind of a hot take round table to the equation and i'm also going to be giving a little bit of a questionnaire to him just around the historic value we saw from this game so a little bit of fact or fiction so just starting out with the game this was a game where when i was going into the preview this is exactly what happened in the first matchup they had about two weeks ago i actually thought the thunder were going to win and i kind of had that same exact idea in the back of my mind because i Demonis Sabonis, he was listed as questionable, and I assumed, I was under the assumption that with him on the injury list, I think um, Jeremy Lamb was too, Malcolm Brogdon was on the list, they didn't have Goga Batadze, and then O'Shea Brissett, their starting center for the last six games, he's been playing at an all-star level, so I just assumed they were going to keep kind of playing out the long game with Sabonis and with them, you know, maybe not in the playoff picture, they might just want to see how low they can get in the lottery standing, so I thought this would have been a game where you wouldn't have seen Brogdon, no Batadze, no Turner, obviously no TJ Warren, and to top it all off, no Sabonis as well, so that's a gutted roster where you would have been playing pretty much G League guys against our rotation who didn't have Dort or Pokashevsky, but that's still kind of an evenly coded matchup, they got Karis Levert, And for us, we had guys like Baisley kind of on a hot streak. So it seemed pretty good on paper, but we found out before the game that Sabonis was going to play. So out six games, he was going to be back and ready for action. And, you know, it seemed like with that move, it really does shift it one way. Like, yeah, of course, you think the Pacers probably are going to win. Sabonis has just been a major pain for our organization ever since we moved him. Same goes with Oladipo, probably to a lesser level, but Sabonis... He's been playing at an all-star level despite, you know, whatever opponent, but especially against us, he always just dominates. And to top it all off with us not having Dort or Poku, two guys we know can erupt for 20 points. Dort, more specifically, this would have been a game where you would give them the upper hand, but you wouldn't have even predicted the result of this one. Final score, 152 to 95. And I'm going to go into the historic value with Nick whenever I bring him on. But this one was very, very ugly, and it started just from the get-go. So you had Sabonis. He's playing at the five, Brissett's at the four, Brissett's six seven, Sabonis, I think he's like six foot ten. But we know inside he is a serious problem. And with Moses Brown at the cup, yeah, he's seven foot two, but he's not the biggest guy. Like, weight-wise, he doesn't have a rounded-out frame. Sabonis You know, it's not like he's bam out of bio jacked, but he's pretty built out. So he can kind of move around the paint and he can clear a pathway to the basket. So he was getting inside. There are also a lot of cuts, drives, you name it, they got it. They scored four quick baskets right around the rim. So they were up 8 0. And Oklahoma City, they couldn't really respond. I think Baisley might have gotten like a really contested layup and then Maladone hit two free throws, but that was it. They ran pretty much dry. And the Pacers, on the flip side, they kept scoring. They made their first six buckets. And the Thunder, they started the game 1 of 11 from the floor. So it kind of just snowballed. I think the Pacers missed a shot or two. But they were still shooting at a very high rate. And it got to the point where they were up 16 of 4, pretty much in a whim. Like, first 3-4 minutes, they're up a baker's dozen, and Mark Dagnall has to call a timeout. And actually, off the stoppage, it was pretty good because the Thunder... They stemmed a little bit of a comeback. They scored 11 to 4. That was their little mini run. So, they were only down 5. It was a 20 to 15 game, and it seemed like the Pacers has cool, had cooled off. The Thunder, I mean, they weren't red hot or anything, but they covered the distance for the most part. This would have been a game where you're talking single digits, but then the Pacers erupted again, and specifically from downtown. They had Doug McBuckets Doug McDermott, who started in this game, actually, just kind of running around screens, getting off-ball screens set, kind of in the corner. Uh, he'd run over to, like, the left or right wing. Didn't matter, and he'd stop pop and swish home a triple. Did it about four times in the quarter, and he even got in around the basket. Same goes to Sabonis. Everyone was scoring and the Thunder. They really just could not really find a way to stop him. So the Pacers, they got up as large as 19 in the first quarter and by the end the thunder probably should have a smile on their face because they were only down 13 but they were down 42 to 29 and to put things into perspective when the thunder had their just fourth quarter eruption against the boston celtics this last week where they got the w they had 42 points in the quarter that was the most we've seen them score in a quarter this year pacers just rolled out with kind of a makeshift lineup and just drop 42 as well so you know that's kind of a tone setter so I'm not I wasn't mad I mean 13 points with them being down 19 and seem like their back was against the wall it was not a bad result and you know the way Indiana was shooting the ball it's even more kind of going into that argument there because the Pacers they shot 7 of 11 from 3 in the first quarter and Oklahoma City, they tried shooting threes, they just hit two of them. They went two of eleven. It was very ugly. And that's that's just being lightly, to be quite honest with you. But McDermott almost single handedly just destroyed the Thunder. I think at his peak, he was about three points off of outscoring. I think um he had seventeen points and the Thunder had twenty, and then he got pulled out by uh Indiana's head coach Nate Bajorgren. I don't I don't know. I might have botched his last name up, but Indiana's coach had to pull him out of the game uh, for the last couple minutes, but he almost outscored the team at one point, and he probably did whenever it was kind of a little bit more in the infancy stages, but he still dropped 17 points in the quarter, went 5 of 7, and he looked like Reggie Miller going 4 of 5 from distance, so as I mentioned, you saw pinned down screens, you saw everything, and they just let him go at it, and he was just running and gunning no one could stop him, he was in the zone, so they take that 13-point lead, and they try to carry it over into the second quarter, and they were entering the second quarter shooting 68% from the floor, that's unprecedented, you don't see that, regardless, I don't care, you know, it's 2021, a lot of the times you see huge numbers um, coming from games, but you don't see people shoot 68% or better in a quarter for the most part, so they were already kind of riding the line, Of historic value, and they kept going at it because they went on an 11 2 run to begin the second quarter. And Oklahoma City started 3 of 11, so it already set the tone for what was to come. And the Pacers I mean, they had a major push by the six minute mark, they were up 29 points 64 to 35 off of a 24 6 run to begin the period. And then the Thunder they just couldn't stop them, the misfortune continue to just gush out of them and at the final buzzer they were down 82 to 46 that's their largest halftime deficit of the year you know I don't need to really tell you guys that but I mean they damn near were getting outscored that is a 36 point margin you're talking about and on the Pacers front they could not miss a shot and they were actually almost going to snap a franchise record off of those first two quarters because In 1982, they had an 86-point second half. They scored 150 points in an overtime game versus the Denver Nuggets. They lost that game 155-150, to but their third and fourth quarters were very, very powerful. And yeah, they were just right off the mark there. And you know, I mean, that's not, I'm saying it like it's a bad thing. Like they were just dominant. You don't see people score 82 points and a half. I don't care what game I can't even I couldn't even find the original game because that's how far this was so there was a lot of history kind of back in their performance and there was a lot of buckets flying their way too because they were shooting 70% overall in the first half they shot 36 or excuse me 32 of 46 and from three they didn't shoot much worse they shot 11 of 18 that's 61% and for the Thunder they were not good I mean the final play in the half kind of represented what we saw from them and it was a Darius Bazley isolation there's maybe 17 seconds left and he's sizing up his man hoist a shot up with probably five seconds to go and I think it hit back iron but a little bit of pop off the rim so it was up kind of airborne and I think the first guy to go at it was Gabriel Deck so he went up for it and off the putback and then it hit like back iron and then you saw like one more try to Tap in. I think it was Roby or something, and that also did not go in. So, I mean, that just was it. Like they they couldn't get anything done, no matter how good the opportunity was. Three different tries, no good, no good, no good from point blank rage on the final two, and that's how it worked on defense. But I mean, offensively, it was ugly. I mean, they they shot thirty three percent, and they went two of eighteen. From downtown that's 11.1 repeating percent not good not good at all and when you're breaking down the league leaders or just the halftime leaders indiana was plastering the boards and they had to Sabonis, who already had a triple double in 19 minutes and this wasn't a little flimsy like 10 10 and 10 he had 22 points on 9 of 11 shooting 11 rebounds and 11 assists he was pioneering the game he, he just had to sit at the mid-range and either he had to take a mid-range or he could drive in on Moses Brown Tony Bradley Roby you pick and choose or he just had to throw it as people were making backdoor cuts and honestly it got even dumbed down even more because you had Doug McDermott pulling up off those off-ball screens he could just throw it to him and he was catching fire I mean he had that 17 point first cooled down only had three in the second quarter but he still had a 20 point kind of pallet there by halftime so he was 7 of 10 overall and couldn't really stop him and for the Thunder there was no one that could not be stopped honestly Moses Brown he was all right I mean he was the main scorer but he had eight points okay eight points and Sabonis had 22 Doug McDermott had twenty points in the game so you kind of already knew i mean if you're down 36 at halftime it's not going to be a very good final 24 minutes for you you know you've seen kind of out of nowhere games where someone will get a 25 30 plus point comeback game and this would be the time to do it you go into that second half and you flip the switch but it just didn't happen for the thunder they kept digging themselves into just a bigger and bigger hole they got down 40 points in the first minute of play, and as you got to the 5-minute mark in the third, they found themselves down 52 points, that's it, you're done, the game is pretty much over, we know that, I mean, you can't come back from a deficit that large, and no one was missing, and guess what, they got it stacked up to 58 in the third, and it got to the point where Indiana's head coach he had to pull out the starters and honestly i thought he was a little bit ruthless not taking him out sooner because it was already predetermined there's this rule trying to get passed around where you're not allowed to have tv timeouts or coach timeouts my bad when you're down 30 points or more in the second half and this might be something they show on the tape this is a pretty big like outlier in terms of the points but i mean this was a blowout game and nate could not kind of hold back he just had to keep the guys out there get their stats up but with about two three minutes left he kind of you know pulled them out and they were done for the rest of the game and by the end of it a little bit better i guess you take the small victories it was only a 56 point game they were down 126 to 70 and indiana i mean with their franchise record being 150 points they just needed to score 25 and they would have been good. So they go out there with their second unit for the most part, and you're talking guys who, honestly, I've never even heard of before. I I, I think I'm pretty familiar with about 90-95% of the league. Might even know more, just based off of like 2K or whatever. I, I look at stats and stuff, but there's a couple guys where they just kind of come into the league, and you're like, who are these guys? And I think that maybe Charlie Brown Jr. might have been one of those for us, because he came out of the G League, had like 10 games of experience with the Atlanta Hawks last year, but I don't think there's been a guy that I just had no background on than Amita Brema, and he got to play the entire fourth quarter, and he ended up dropping seven points and four rebounds, going three of five shooting, so he was good to go, he was dominating, and that just kind of tells you the script. He, I don't think he really played much leading into the game, but he got to play. He was very efficient. And you saw other guys like O'Shea Brissett, who has been starting, get pivotal minutes at the five because Sabonis was out. And he was dominating again. And just across the board, everybody was killing the thunder. So they kept taking jabs. They had 149 points with probably like three, four minutes left. And then they went cold turkey. And there was a moment where I was actually super excited. I thought that they might not be able to get over 150 points. So you hold them back from that. That's another small victory you take. And then O'Shea Brissett got taken to the foul line. Went up for the first free throw. It was no good so there was still hope here you can tie it but it's not the same as just overall taking that record so you're kind of looking at this nail biter free throw from brissette and once again he was no dice on the shot so when he missed that second free throw there was actually three minutes 48 seconds left so i said two three minutes no there was more than that so you continue And then the Pacers end up missing three straight field goals, and they have an offensive goaltending and just a bad pass turnover. And that took them above three minutes of time where they didn't have a bucket. That was our longest streak of the game. And you had, you know, just like under a minute remaining, they might have not gotten this. And the man himself, Cassius Stanley, I think he was a second round pick, but. He strolls up the floor and nails a 26-foot-3. Gets him to 152. On the other end, Charlie Brown Jr., he himself got a 26-foot-3, and you're done. Game was over with. You saw a missed oop from Brissett. And on the other end, you had Charlie Brown Jr. go up for a wide-open breakaway layup. This is just to see the shot go in and move on he missed a layup, and that was it, just a moralizing loss for the team, with the loss, the Thunder, they end up losing their second game in a row, and now they are still tied with the fifth best odds, because they are still stuck up with a record of 21-43, and and for the Pacers, they got back in the win column, and now they're still looking at a play-in spot, and they're ninth in the East right now. With a 30 and 33 record. So, two different sides of the story here. Pretty bad game for us and good game, really good game for the Indiana Pacers. So, a lot of disparity there. And, you know, Thunder, it was not good. So, I'm going to go into the next kind of stats and some of the historic value we saw. And I'm going to be doing it with a familiar face. So, I'm going to go right in to the next segment. Just brought this in. The Hot Takes Roundtable. Alright, and I am back with Nick Talbot. I had him on... Maybe like December. I don't even know if he's got it's an actual. It's been a long, yeah.
1: long time. It is a <laughs> blessing to be back, especially in the state of basketball that we are in right especially now. Especially
0: after this game dude, this that game, just happened.
1: It, I was, It was a good one. I had it, but I was on the edge of my seat the whole entire time.
0: Yeah. I mean, we were on a phone call. That was probably the most energized. At least I've been watching a Thunder game in about four or five months. Yeah. I Maybe mean, the Celtics game. That was a good one. Oh, the Boston.
1: But... Dude, that one. That was beauts. It was a beaut.
0: That was a beaut, yeah. yeah I was mean, a I was I was really excited for the game, though, um, for the, all the wrong reasons, probably. I think same might go for Nick. But on this, I have a little bit of a little game show. I got 15 questions for you, Nick. Let's about, go, baby. About this game, because there was a lot of history back in this one, both historically, season-wise, and even individual questions that I think, I don't know, might st- might stump you.
1: Okay, let's, if you, go, let's give
0: it a shot. If you get zero out of 15... I'd understand. Also, if you get 15 out of 15, you're out of your mind, because I don't even know how people know. Yeah, we're going to
1: yeah, we'll be calling hacks.
0: I'm going to say if you get 5 out of 15, that's probably a pass here. Actually, no. <laughs> I'm going to go 8. I'm going to go 8 out of 15, but just starting things out, most points in Pacers history, yes or no? For this game? This game. Yes. That's correct. I will say I did talk to him about this during the call. I'm gonna give you that one.
1: Okay, hey, is this a bonus question or is this how many points? Was no, most pre-
0: points in the game. 152. You yeah. said yes.
1: Yeah. The the original previous high was 150. It was. It was, and and honestly, towards the end of that game, I was getting a little bit scared. Uh, especially when they went like on four minute. It was like a three minute drought with no points. I was getting. I was going, come on, Pacers, make a shot, make a shot. I mean. And I was not. I was on the other side. As I said in the previous segment, I didn't I th-
0: I didn't want him to score. Nick did. And whenever I think it was Cassius Stanley made a three pointer, twenty six footer. Hey, we drafted him. That was Cassius Winston. He's on the oh, yeah. he's on the wizards. Okay. <laughs> <Cassius>. <laughs> but but yeah. So that's the first question. You're one for one. So that's a good start for hey, you. Amen, brother. How about most points in the twenty first century in a single game. That would be false. Alright, you're two for two, Nick. Good job, baby. Okay, how about this? Most points allowed in Thunder history. That would be true. That's false. Who did we? The Thunder. If you can guess this, I'll give you one shot. It was a double overtime game in 2019. This is like a Thunder classic, dude.
1: Yeah, I know. There was some good ones back in 2019. That was the year of. Westbrook
0: and his. No, it was Westbrook and PG. Might have yeah. even been Melo in that year, too. Uh,
1: I'm stumped.
0: It was against the San Antonio Spurs. Oh,
1: against the Spurs. 154 to 149. We yeah, were close to the record. Classic.
0: Lamarcus Aldridge had 56 points in that game. Okay. No one could stop his turnaround jump shot. Definitely not Paul George. I think he might have led the Thunder, but they were just right away. So that was the game. How about this? Largest loss in
1: Thunder franchise history. That would be true. That's true. That is true. Because I don't think. Because, I mean, the only time it could have possibly happened was 2008, 2009, when we were pretty bad. But, um, honestly, getting 60-pointed, 54 points. It was 57, 57 points. They points, they lost points by. Whatever. That's just a disaster. <laughs> and I don't think that. that it might just, not be top 10. Yeah, <laughs> find, find the Thunder like a million dollars or something for playing their hearts out but
0: yeah i mean that was a bad loss actually the, the worst they had before this was against the trailblazers that happened last month they almost lost by 50 points i think yeah. so it's a pretty big uh big jump up but how about this one most points allowed in okc regulation game in a regulation game regulation. that would be true that's also true i think i probably should have worded it so i had the regulation one first before the Spurs. but yeah you're right and then what about
1: largest loss in nba history that would be false. Yeah, you know what the largest one was? I don't, but I remember seeing it on ESPN.com. All right, that game was in 1991, 148
0: to 80 game, Cavaliers versus Heat. So 68 points. So it was not close. I think if, if they would have lost by 60 plus, that would have been I think the eighth game where you've seen a 60 point loss. It was either seven or eight. It was one of the two. I believe it was seven. Yeah, I think it was it was one of those two. But moving on, you're actually doing pretty good. You're seven or you're not seven. You're 4 out of 5 right now leading into the second part. So, you're almost one you're one away from the the mark I set, which is really bad by me, but moving on, this was the most threes the Pacers made in a regular season game this year. This year? That would be true. That's true. They made 21 combined. I think Sabonis hit 2, and then McDermott hit...
1: Like 7 or 12
0: or he 15. Hit, he hit a lot of them, but yeah. yeah, they got to 21. How about this for the Thunder? This was the worst shooting performance they've had all year. False. That's false. They, the worst one they had was against the Mavericks, where they had, I think, um, what was it, 78 points or something. Shot 33.3%. This game... They were like 34. Yeah, they shot 34.2%. Yeah. But moving on but the worst free throw performance of the year. They went 11 of 23, shot 47.8%. True. No, that's false. They shot 5 of 15 in a game this year. 5 of 15. So they went 33.3, both overall and from the free throw line. All right, so we got it with the overall and the free throw line. How about on offensive rebounds? This was the least amount they've had all season long least amount of offensive rebounds in a game for the Thunder. True. It's false. That was a, this is the most amount they've had in a single game this year.
1: Yeah, because they had like 500 second chance points. I should have yeah. said true. But they had a ton of shots. I dads. thought that was a uh, trick question. But uh what you guessed it wrong. Oh, I know I did, but um the thing is I remember see after you asked that question my head was spinning. And I remember they got like 30 second chance points or something. Yeah, they scored a lot of second chances. It was like 30 or 40. I mean, that was like half their points was second. So I should have easily just said true, but you know what they say.
0: Yeah, they had 21 offensive rebounds in that one. And then for just overall scoring, the leading scorer for the Thunder this game was Moses Brown. He had 16 points. That was the lowest, was that the lowest high score game or player in a game? So
1: This year for the Thunder? Yeah. That would be false because I think somebody had less than that and was the high scorer. That's true. You're right. Okay, yeah, because I remember that game.
0: It was also the it was also the OKC Mavs game where they were terrible. It was yeah. eighty-seven to seventy-eight. Leading score was SGA. He had fifteen points. So yeah. you're doing pretty good. Moving on to just individual though, Sabonis led the game in scoring. He had twenty-six. You think that was true or no?
1: I think. Dude, McDermott and uh, I'm gonna go false. I think Dougie McBuckets. How had more, much? How much do you think McDermott had? Like 28, probably. McDermott at 31. You're okay, right. you're because right. I, I knew Dougie McBuckets was just making every. Yeah, shot he, he, he looked up, like Reggie so. Miller out there. He yeah, could not miss a shot. I know. I remember Doug McBuckets. Dougie McFuckets.
0: Whenever he's playing for us for like that one season, that one, and then he like sucked He or... like ran his way out of town somehow. I mean, he
1: wasn't even like good with us.
0: Yeah. How about this? Higher or lower? Here, the Thunder made nine and a half threes. So higher or lower? You think? How on do you that make mark? half a three? It's just like a lottery, yacht, dude. Okay.
1: So uh, I'm gonna go false. So they made like two or three, probably. Hit eight. Yeah. So You're right. Two threes, that's a little that's a little bit of a downplay, but you still get the point. You still well, get I mean, the point. At least there's a couple where we hit the side of the backboard.
0: Yeah, I, I forgot. I think it was Tony Bradley. Someone threw like a freaking street ball move where it just shot it hit the like the left side of the backboard and just yeah. ricocheted so hard out. And then yeah. we had like a tip by Tao Maladone that hit the side of the backboard and bounced out. There's a lot of backboard we saw in the game. Um how about this? New addition Gabrielle Deck led the Thunder in rebounds in this game, true or false? False. Who do you think led? Moses Brown. Moses Brown was the third highest. He had seven. Tony, Tony Brad- Bradley. Tony Bradley had eight. Deck actually led. He had ten rebounds in the game. That's a sh- that's. A sh- I think I think they were just they were playing him a good bit. They were playing him a good bit, a good bit of run, but he's crashing How the boards. How many did Charlie Brown Jr. get? Uh, I, I don't have that on me, but I'm assuming probably not that many. Uh, you know what? Let me check. Let me check right now how many you know, Charlie it's... Brown had. He had five rebounds, so he actually did pretty good. So not that bad for for Charlie here. How about this? The bench outscored the starters in this game. True. That's true. It was 51 to 44 for the starters. The
1: starters were not that good. <laughs> yeah, I'm was... not trying. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but it, no, that starting right. unit was not.
0: The, the second best shooter field goal percentage wise, I think I outlined it earlier, but the second best shooter in the game for the Thunder at the starting five was Charlie Brown Jr. He shot 10 attempts. Guess how many he made?
1: Three.
0: Yeah. He went 30% and that was our second best score. He made three? 30%. Two, he
1: made two of those in the last like five seconds of the game.
0: Now he, missed the, he missed the final layup. Yeah. He hit a three at he, the no, end. No, he hit back but, to back threes. Oh, he did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, back, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so he, he bolstered his stats up a little bit, but yeah, really bad scorecard for the starters. Um, how about this one, though? And I, I'd, I'd be willing to offer you maybe like a buck or two if you get like, you know, five, five off either way. How many field goals do you think the Thunder tried in this game?
1: Oh, way too many. So I'm going to go on like 85.
0: It was 111. Really? Because 111 most, shots. Most
1: you can usually get like 60 or 70. I know all those rebounds. So 111 is ridiculous. Yeah. And we we made what, like 20 of those.
0: It was not a good shooting we night. Made like yeah. 30 30 of those. 34 yeah. 34%. So honestly, I lost count. I think you got like 8 or 9. So Yeah. that was pretty solid. So that was just a little snippet of Nick and I talking, doing our little 15 question game. Um, there there was actually a conversation. I mean, we had a dialogue going for about 30 minutes. Somehow, I mean, typically I record these on like um on a computer. I did it on a laptop, and like something got chopped off. So honestly, the part that we had after that kind of didn't make much sense. So I'm gonna try to kind of clarify it. But Nick was real happy to be on. Um. He made sure, you know, to tell you guys that, but we were just kind of discussing the final box score after that and kind of just what we saw. I remember one one of the biggest points that we talked about was Demonis Sabonis, and obviously his 22.11 rebound, 11 assist triple-double by halftime, we won't probably see it again this year, and it might take a long time just in general to ever see kind of that stat line come out. And whenever he ended the game, I mean, he was still on fire. Like, he had to get pulled out, and if he played in the fourth, it would have been trouble. Not only because he was scoring so much, I got a fantasy team, and the guy that I'm playing against had Sabonis. He got pulled out, so I got saved of a little bit of extra points, but he still ended up with 26 points, 19 rebounds, and 14 assists, going 10 of 13 from the field. And we wanted to figure out who exactly from the Pacers just in history, kind of gets triple-doubles, because we know with the Thunder, obviously, who reigns supreme in the triple-double category. It's Russell Westbrook. And now we kind of have a guy in SGA who is not always going to get a triple-double, but he's kind of prone to it. And we have guys like that all around the league, specifically, I don't know, the Luka Doncic's of the world, the LeBrons, obviously Westbrook. But it seems like it's kind of getting more Expansive in terms of who gets triple doubles now. Like even at the center position, Jokic and Sabonis are getting triple doubles. And there's probably some where even guys like Joel Embiid get hot and get triple doubles on occasion. And with the Pacers, I guess Sabonis would be that guy, but this was kind of out of like left field. I didn't see it coming. And just looking back on history, we couldn't really find anybody who we thought had a lot of triple-doubles in a Pacers uniform. And believe it or not, Sabonis is the guy. He has had 11. That was his 11, 11 triple-double. And then behind him, it just drops off. I mean, Detlef Shrimp is in second place with six triple-doubles. And then you go to Lance Stevenson and Vern Flemm, Fleming. I, I'm not even sure who he is. I'm going to be honest. I've never uh, even heard of Vern in my life so I'm assuming he probably played in the 70s 80s maybe even the 90s but it looks like he played 816 games with the Pacers so he's a mainstay uh, according to this and then it drops off to guys like Mark Jackson I thought Paul George would have been number one he's only at two with the Pacers and surprisingly guys like David West only have one George Hill only have one Hibbert has one Jermaine O'Neal Reggie Miller just has one and somehow TJ McConnell has one too, so I guess triple-doubles just get passed around, just not a lot with the Pacers, or at least they don't have a particular guy, but Sabonis, he was at it from the get-go, and then obviously Doug McDermott led the game with 31 points, went 11 of 14, 6 of 8 from distance, he didn't even need to expand on anything else, he had a rebound and an assist, but he just had to be a catch-and-shoot guy, and he got to his spots every time And he got them a lot of success. Same goes with Karis LeVert. He finished the game with 25 points, went 8, or excuse me, 9 of 15 to get there, and went 4 of 6 from downtown. Also had 6 assists on this game. And even beyond that, they had 3 other guys who posted double figures. And what you saw whenever everybody got taken out of the game with about 3 minutes left in the third, you saw all the bench guys get time, except for one guy, and that was O'Shea Brissett. O'Shea got to finish out the game. He logged the most minutes on the team, played just over 40 minutes, and he had 16 points and 13 rebounds. This guy has been a darling in my fantasy league, and he almost had more fantasy points than Sabonis somehow, even though he didn't really have many assists. He only had three. Uh, It must be the four blocks. It definitely was the four blocks he had, but he got up there, and he was Sabonis in the fourth quarter pretty much. He carried that torch and led the way, but there were still guys who, honestly, I haven't heard much about, Keelan Martin, heard the name, didn't know, really, he was on the Pacers, he scored five points, Cassius Stanley, knew he was on the team, didn't know he played, he got to play, went three of seven, got seven points, and that end cap to get him to 152, and then, as I mentioned earlier, Amida Brema, he got to play the full fourth quarter, and he ended the game with seven points, four rebounds, and an assist. So it's just so telling. Everyone on the rotation got to play and they dominated. Nobody, nobody who was uh, on the active list didn't play. So all the inactives were gone, but all members who were available got to touch the floor and they got to touch it in an abundance of minutes. I think the dude who played the least amount of minutes was Edmund Sumner. Actually, you know what? It was Brema and then Edmund Sumner, but everyone got to play at least 12 minutes a game or 12 minutes in the game. So, they had a really good minute distribution. Same goes with the Thunder, probably because of the circumstance. Everyone who was active got to play. Ty Jerome was listed as available, but it was known that he would not play because they wanted to try out Charlie Brown Jr. And they wanted Kenneth Williams to play again because he got benched in the last game. But he was out, and that was kind of that. But no one could make shots. You're talking Darius Baisley going 4 of 17, He couldn't hit the three. He only went one of four. But inside, he just didn't look as per usual. Sabonis shut him down. Same goes with Brissette. And then guys like Isaiah Roby, he got to start this game. And he went one of eight. Only had five rebounds and two assists. Teo Maladon went two of 14. One of eight from downtown. And he only had, uh, what was it, two assists too. So not a lot of passing was going on amongst the starters. They had 23 overall, but not a lot of movement going through them kind of just isolation and hope for the best and then charlie brown jr he got to play almost 27 minutes he shot three of ten two of six from downtown and as nick mentioned both those came back to back in the fourth quarter so that's kind of where he found his rhythm and then he also had five rebounds to go along with things so i mean with him I'm not gonna rule anything because of how bad everybody else played, but it wasn't—it uh, wasn't a game where you're gonna get um, a second 10-day contract on a c- competitive team. You know, if this was a different situation like the one we're in now, I bet he still gets a second 10-day contract. But this wasn't the kind of grand stage game that he needed. And when you look at other people among the league, look at Elise Johnson with the Brooklyn Nets. He got to play big minutes in his first 10-day contract, and he dropped like 20 points, 12 rebounds, something like that. And he still is a very viable role player for them, and he's on a multi-year contract now. So that's what you need to do in these 10 days, and he just didn't do it. But maybe he gets another chance uh, against the Suns in tonight's game. But that was just a kind of note with him. But Moses Brown was the one starter who was really good. Seven of nine from the floor, 16 points, seven rebounds. Five of them came on the offensive glass. And a lot of it was just scraps. I mean, getting positioning down low and the second chance points were too much. He had a lot of dunks. I think in the broadcast, they said it was either three or five dunks he had in the game. But that was kind of where he's found his, his sweet spot. And that's about all he knows. He's not going to shoot a midrange, no threes. Just stay focused inside, and this is one of those games where he got back to the numbers we've kind of become accustomed to. But when you look past him, it's really just centers again. I mean, Tony Bradley was the guy, and he had 13 points on the game. He went 5 of 8 and had 8 rebounds, so just one more than him. And it was the same. No shooting, really, from him. He just wanted to work inside, and he got to the line six times and stuck three of them in. So he was decent. And then, in another supporting cast role, with 13 points again, you had Zvi Luke off the bench, but he went 4 of 13, um, and out of those shots, all of them came from distance. Only one try came on twos, didn't go in for him, so he went 4 of 11 from 3, but he was nice from the left corner. He had a lot of catch and shoots there, where there were not, there was not really a lot of space for him to work with, so I'm going to say he did pretty good, 36% from distance, in comparison to the team, was amazing uh, because he accounted for half of the team's threes since he only made eight the entire game, so this wasn't a problem at all um, with Zvi Luke. and when you look past him, off the bench, you look at Gabriel Deck, and he was one of the nicer guys on the team, and he shot 4 of 12, which is not really great numbers, went 0 of 2 from 3, and the jump shot, we gotta see it flashed in the game, not a lot of elevation there, so... Kinda of just wishing for the best. I mean, it wasn't amazing, but whatever. I thought he was alright trying to get uh inside, though. And with that, he almost got a double-double, had eight points, got the 10 rebounds, and he was throwing some nice passes. He was doing like NBA street behind the back, mid-air passes, just for the fun of it. And I like that with him. I think that you know in a competitive game if you saw that you'd probably be really pissed off but he was kind of the breath of fresh air that we needed to kind of get through that game with a pretty big smile on our face so a lot of credit has to go to gabrielle deck in the game definitely more room to work with but that's his second career game and mark dagnault even kind of backed him up he said well he's probably wondering what the hell's going on right now and then he started laughing so he kind of gets it like Deck is new and after getting blown up by 57, he's probably wishing he was still playing with Real Madrid right now cuz he ditched them in the playoffs. They could have used him and now he's in this spot where second game in, lose by 57. And from the looks of it, he he might speak English, but I know in the first interview with the media he did have a translator. So I don't know if there's like a language barrier issue in terms of that, but I think regardless, I mean, if you get picked up on a multi-year contract and the second game in, you get blown out by record numbers, you might just give a double take and say, "Well, damn, maybe I should have just stayed." Because he he had a pretty good contract with Real Madrid, and there was an offer on the table for him to re-sign with the franchise, and he didn't do it. I'll think Barcelona placed an offer on him too. He could have played with um, Nikola Mirocic, who. Had a really solid career in the NBA, but he passed on it to play in the pros with the Thunder. So hopefully it's a good decision. It probably will be. Just this was an off game for us. It's pretty obvious to start things out. But he did probably one of the better jobs on the team. And then when you look by him, it's really just Josh Hall and Jalen Hor. Josh Hall, he went three of eight and o of two from downtown. Still very raw. Like we have not seen him enough to make any sort of prediction on him. And you'd think with the way two-way contracts are laid out, you'd be able to see him for more than what we've got to show. Like, he doesn't have much of a resume. And the track record in those games is not that great. I think 24 minutes might be his career high. I might be wrong, but I don't recall him getting 20-plus minutes very often. And, he, I mean, he was just trying to get get easy buckets, uh, going on layups. And he likes going into contact. I love that. But he just wasn't able to really ended off too well there and Jalen Horde I always say it I think he's getting a bad end of the deal I really like him I think he's definitely one of the top 450 players uh in basketball right now uh but he just doesn't get the time and with the two-way contract I don't think he has a future with the team and I understand like it's kind of one of those things like with Justin Jackson and Darius Miller you can run down the line of these people we got and dropped off we cut them because we didn't need them or we didn't have a role for them in our future. Jalen is not like a Justin Jackson where he's 26 years old or a Darius Miller where he's 30, 31. He's 22 and he's 6'8. He has a really good toucher on the basket. It's not like he just goes from point A to point B. He doesn't have a crazy handle, but once he gets inside, he kind of brings off the Baisley factor where he'll kind of sidestep or go up and under with you. But we just don't get to see it enough. So he only got to play 13 minutes, and he went one of three. I really hope that he we get time from him again. I, I don't expect it, to be quite honest with you, but maybe, just maybe. I'd love to see him playing. So we don't know with him. Uh, I'm surprised that Charlie Brown Jr. kind of just walked in and got 26 minutes when Horde is really good. But it is what it is, and you just kind of hope for the best. For really the both of them leading into the next one. And then also with Kendrick Williams. I mean, he came back and he got eight points. Also ended up with four assists on the game. But he didn't really pop off the page. Nobody did. I think even with Brown getting his baskets, you didn't even know. Like, it didn't even seem like the Thunder was playing basketball. Like, I know it sounds very weird, but... It didn't seem like they were involved in the game. It looked like you were just watching an open gym practice for the Pacers. Like you'd see a basket going for the Thunder, and you, it'd be in your mind for maybe half a second, because then you'd just be looking at the Pacers. That's who I was focusing on for most of the game, to be quite honest with you. And my job is to write down every detail I see through the Thunder guys. And there just wasn't a lot. I mean, it was all Pacers from start to finish. And. There was not much that could happen past halftime. You just can't make really a deficit through through that time. And I mean, Mark Dagnall didn't even want to sh- sugarcoat it after the game. He just ended up saying that it was embarrassing and he's not going to try to spin it. And then he kind of went on to, to mention that it was pretty demoralizing for the team. And there were a lot of issues. It was a clean uppercut. They shot it well. And that certainly happened. They shot 64% from three. That is true and that astronomical number over the course of the game just was too much, and it wasn't a good offensive night for the Thunder. Pretty ugly storm. So yeah, I mean, the Pacers, I might have addressed that a little bit before, but overall in the game, they shot 65% from the floor, 64% from three, and went 77% from the line. For the Thunder... They shot 34.2%, 21.1 from 3 and 47.8 from uh the line. So not pretty, and the only real stat that you can like from this one is the offensive rebounds getting 21 of them. And then also, they had 14 turnovers and the Pacers only had 17. So in the most oddball kind of stretch of games, we had a game where we saw turnovers flying everywhere and the Thunder got the win against the Celtics. And then now we see them get probably what has been their lowest turnover output in months. They get blown out by 57 points? I I don't get it, man. So it wasn't the fact that they were careless with the ball. It was the fact they couldn't get the easy shots to go in. And they're going to need to be able to do that heading into the next game. And it's not going to be... You know, an easy one. They're playing the Phoenix Suns tonight. The Phoenix Suns are the second best team in the league, a game behind the Jazz for first, the Goliath the throne in the in the NBA. And they're not going to be ridden with injuries. I think for us Dort's probably going to be coming back with Poku, maybe I, he's definitely on a different lane than Dort. I don't think you'd purposely pull him from games, but he might be back as well, so we'll have at least a couple better guys. I think Jerome's going to be able to come back and return, have his revenge game against the Suns, because I I don't think he got one last time. Abdel Nader is going to make his debut uh, against the Thunder in a Suns uniform, so that'll be fun, but... You know, trying to predict the game is going to be weird. It's not going to be a easy turnaround. I can't imagine that they're entering the tip-off very confident. Um, I don't want to put words into their mouth, but hell, if you get dropped off by 57 and you got to play one of the best of the best in the next game, are you really going to go in there thinking you're going to clobber them? I don't know. So they're not going to have SGA. No Horford. It's just rolling out the lineups and see where you can go with it. I don't think they get blown out by 57, but... This could be the start of another kind of losing streak, and the hope is that does not happen. But oh, well, actually, for us tankers, you probably do hope it happens. For them, obviously not. But we'll see if the trend continues. A loss here marks the third straight L, and it actually moves them back into the fifth position. Kind of waiting to see what happens with the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Orlando Magic, and the Detroit. Pistons so I'll keep you up to date on that one in tomorrow's episode but other than that though guys that's gonna wrap it up for today I thank you all for listening to the podcast and I will talk to you all next time see ya